Morning. It's so great to be with you guys. I'm going to pray first. <laughs> Lord, please help me with language this morning, Lord. It was a long day yesterday. I didn't have enough sleep <laughs> in the last two nights, Lord. I just really pray, help me to communicate this well, Lord. I, I really want to pour out my heart to my dear friends. And I really pray that your spirit will work through my heart and the words and touch us and enrich our spirits and bring us on a better place, Lord. Help us to understand the word of God. Help us to follow you in a much better way. Help us to be much more fruitful for you. And help us on the first place to enjoy more who we are in you, Lord. And to enjoy even more who you are, Lord. Your love and your grace. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, what I want to share with you this morning, it's, I must say, it's really much in the line with what Mike shared yesterday and, and, and Tom also. It's, um, it's something which, it's, it's, a, it's a piece of the scripture that's really in my heart for a quite some time. I read it again and again. I try to to play a drama of the whole chapter, what's happening. Uh, I, I try to understand emotions behind, because there is something in this chapter. It's one question, <laughs> one answer, that really helped me a lot in all these years of ministry. I did have a lot of moments in ministry when I asked myself, what on earth I'm doing all this? It was, it was, it was hard. It wasn't easy. I wanted to press that stop button many times. I didn't by grace of God. And I found here in this, in this chapter exactly the same situation and the same answer from Peter. And I know that every single time when I go through some difficulties and, and doubts and, and when I say to myself, I, I can't stand this anymore, I want to give up, not maybe give up in a way of giving up on everything, but lower out the standards, uh, lower out the expectations. Don't go with faith anymore. Just settle down. I found myself asking this question and falling in love again and again with Christ and allowed, me, allowed myself to, to trust Him again and to follow Him in the ever new season in front of me. Uh, stories in uh, John chapter 6, and um, we have more and more non-Christians coming to the church, literally uh, pagans who come from the pagan background to church, people who never had any kind of contact with, with, with Bible, and they are uh, absolutely clueless. So I'm uh, learning more and more to, to preach through the storytelling and through just bringing emotions to them. So I know if they catch up emotions behind the story, they're going to connect their emotions with those emotions that they will understand and accept what is the truth behind much easier. So this is the place when Jesus um, fed 5,000 people. Everybody are amazed. Everybody are so pleased with Jesus. Everybody wants him more of him. Everybody wants more of this, this, this miracles he does. Everybody wants more of him. Everybody wants to follow him more. They want to make him king. They literally says, let's make this guy to be a king. And I, I can imagine disciples love that so much. Here we go. Finally, this is why we follow him. You know, he's going to be a king. We're going to be a ministers. You know, they're all kind of, you're in a good place if you're next to the king. You know, so they loved all that. But there's one person who didn't like the whole story. It was Jesus. He just didn't like being proclaimed king so early in that way, which he knew this is the wrong way to become a king. So he escaped. 
he disappeared, he took some boat, he crossed the lake, he came to another side of the lake, he found this little town, he found a little synagogue, he found his place there, but you can't escape from the people. So they found him slowly, the synagogue started gathering more and more people, maybe this kind of crowd, but it was crowded more and more and more. And people are people, they're shouting again the same things, give us some miracles, give us some, some, some great stuff. Show us some miracles. And it looks like that um, this was one of those moments where Jesus recognized what's happening. He had an insight in the whole situation. And he used to use this situation to bring some teaching, to, to bring some teachings to them. And just like he fed them with visible bread just a day earlier, he decided to use that to say some uh, great stuff to them. And he said, just as I've fed you with real bread, and now you're hungry again, and do you know that God has provided something for your soul, which can forever keep you full and quench your hunger? And I can imagine the quietness. Everybody, yes, we want that. That sounds excellent. What is that? What is that that you have to give us, that we're never going to be hungry, and that our souls are going to be satisfied, our hearts are going to be full? What is that you're going to have to give us? And then he dropped the bomb. I am the bread of life that comes from heaven. And I can imagine silence. I just somebody in that corner. No, you're not. We know you. We know your father. We know your mother. You're Jesus. Yo, you're not bread from light. We know your parents. And I can imagine just the, from that corner, the, the, the noise is just spreading around. And Jesus is watching all this. He doesn't have anything against that. It looks like he, he wants to create this kind of confusion in them. He wants to create this kind of tension in them. And then he starts saying things even more weirder. Even more weirder. He says, verse 53, Jesus said to them, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is the real food, and my blood is the real drink. And just read it for yourself. He continued to talk about these kind of things. And I can imagine people holding their heads. I can imagine people just panicking. What on earth he's saying? It's a blasphemy. It's cannibalism. What on earth this God, uh, this man is doing? Eat his flesh, drink his blood. What on earth is happening here? So you can see that the noise is raising everywhere. People just, from the, from the peaceful crowd who's cheering up his name, you have a crowd who just shouting to him, what on earth are you saying? What's happening here? And I can imagine 12 of them, the guys who invested so much in following Jesus, hoping for some great future, thinking they said, Jesus, don't lose them. Don't lose this crowd. Don't lose these people. Just yesterday, I want to make you king. What on earth are you doing? You shouldn't do and say these kind of things. Because it says on the hearing of many of his disciples, on hearing many of his disciples say, this is the hard teaching. Who can accept this? The group that followed him for his wonders, for food, for popularity, for benefits, start saying, who can accept this? Who can accept and follow this kind of teaching? And crowds slowly start turning and going away. And 12 of them, they notice this. They notice what's happening. I'm sure they notice. They were sitting in the first row. They see people are just slowly going away. 
And there was a John and James in that crowd, the guys who said, Jesus, can we be on your side? Can one of us be on the left, another on the right side? Can we have this place of power? And they know they're going to lose this. They're going to lose this place. They're, gonna, they're not going to be the minister of finances and the ministers of internal affairs. They're not going to be that. It's, it's a huge gamble for them. And I bet if they, had, if they had a chance that moment, and I've been in that place, and you've been in that place also, they would love to take Jesus aside and ask him, Jesus, what, what are you saying here? What, what are you doing here? Come on, just don't, don't say those kind of stuff. Why don't you tell them one of your stories? Nobody understands them. At least they don't offend anybody. <laughs> tell them something about the prayer. Tell them something about, I don't know, you choose something about love, but just don't say those things. You, because do you know who is behind those guys? There's the Pharisees there. They don't love you. And these people are the buffer zones between us and the Pharisees. If you lose these people, they're going to catch you. Aware of this, aware that his disciples is grumbling about this, Jesus says to them, Is this offends you? Is this too hard for you? I just love the fact that he's creating all this. It doesn't make it easy for anybody. He is creating this kind of situation, this kind of pruning situation. This is not that something happens and he's going to use that to prune them. He's creating the pruning situation. He looks them in the eyes and says some really tough, scary stuff. Is this too much for you? Is this right some questions? Can you not imagine me being like this? Can you not imagine me taking you on these places? Do you find this difficult? And do you know what? Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer follow him. From this moment, many of them turns away from him and press stop button. Jesus, you're going your direction, but we're not going there with you anymore. We love all the miracles. We love all the healings. We love all excitements. We love all these conferences we have together. We love all this fellowship we have together we love all this but these things we can't swallow anymore i don't understand and i can't understand and i don't want to understand that eat your flesh drink your blood it's too much for me i cannot follow you anymore i'm gonna press a stop button and i can imagine 12 sitting there and looking at this listening to jesus saying all this scary stuff and looking the crown Listening to Jesus, look in the crowd. Listening to Jesus, look in the crowd. And they start thinking in themselves, shall we leave it also? Is it this time for us? Peter probably thought, I'm just going to stretch myself. Look, pretend he's on a mobile phone. I just need to give some medicine to somebody. Peter said, I'm just going to pop into the law and maybe behind the corner. I'm just going to run away as crazy. Is this time to go for us? And you know what? Jesus turns to the twelve. Turns to the twelve, turns to his hand-picked leaders, turns to the relational mission, turns to us who thinks maybe we are something different, or I don't know, everybody thinks for himself, it's a little bit different. My relationship with Jesus is a little bit different, or something. We are full of the hot air, as Mike said. And Jesus don't have any mercy, if I can say like that, even for there, put them in the same Bucket with everybody else, with the people who just gone, with all disciples, the wider group who just standing up and leaving, and those twelve thinking he's gonna turn around to us now and says, "Don't worry, guys. This is this is 
I'm just going to clear some air. You know, don't worry. I just want to scare them. This is not for you. He turns to them. Look them in the eyes. And says. And you? Do you want to leave me too? Jesus asked the twelve. Do you not think to go together with those people? And you don't lie in Jesus, of course. <laughs> not because it's a sin, because he knows your heart. And this is so relevant to us because you are going to be in situation. Maybe you've been in situation. Maybe you can recognize in a past this situation. When you were in that place to say to Jesus, I'm not, I can't follow you anymore in this way. When you hear from here in your heart, do you want to leave me too? Why? Why? Because no matter how long you follow Jesus, you're going to be in this place. And the reason for that is because Jesus is Jesus. Okay? He is a lamb. He has a beautiful meekness of lamb in himself. There's a beautiful umbrella of grace and love and acceptance for us. He just pour out all the time. But under that umbrella, he's also roaring lion who is so eager for his glory. Who is so eager to do these things properly. Who's searching for the essence, for the right substitute. Who's searching for the great things. Who wants his glory to pop in a, in a right way. He doesn't go for the, for the quantities. He loves quantities, but he wants the quality in the first place. So in the midst of all that, he's going to look and say, Are you ready to follow me? How much do you know me? How much do you know my character? How much do you know my personality? How much you know me so you can trust me that the place I'm going to take you is going to be the great place? Doesn't matter how scary it looks like. Doesn't matter how confusing this situation you. Do you know me? And do you trust me to take you in other place, in a better place, in a scary place? Because he's that kind of guy. He's the guy who spent 12, he spent... All his ministry time with just 12 guys. Just the 12 guys. A guy who when he left the earth, he only had 120 who actually stick with him and what he said. And did what he said. When you see him, you, that is immediate in collision with our culture. Which success is defined with the great crowds. With the big buildings. With the great budgets. All fine. But he's also searching for the essence of the quality and all that. Jesus actually dislikes all these things which our culture says more and more. It's important. It's great. It's, it, these things should give you identity and everything else. He's famous for that to turn thousand people away. He will not have any problem to turn thousand people. Every time when the crowd becomes too big and with that bigness not having in itself the right essence, he is ready to say some things to be so shockingly to turn thousands of people away. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be saved and people will just go away. Not exactly the sharpest church-growing tactic. <laughs> he is not interested in marketing himself to the masses. He seems okay with that. He doesn't go for a popular public opinion. He goes for the essence and the right thing and he wants to see everybody in every of us he wants to see that that's why he doesn't (coughs) 
He's going to be a parent, a strict parent who will look at us and says, Are you going to follow me? Or are you going to turn around and go? Put yourself in the place of those first disciples 2,000 years ago. Imagine being in that crowd and see Jesus turning to you and says, If you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Take up your cross and deny yourself. And that cross, it's not, I could not find parking all day today. It's my cross for today. It's an instrument of torture. And everybody who's heard those words, they knew, I'm going to die. I'm going to be ready to die. I'm going to take cross and die. Die to my desires. Die to my plans. Die to my, 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 my I don't know. Just die to myself because I want, if I want to follow him, he has some things for me which is in collision with my desires. Or hear him how he says, if you're going to follow me, you should hate your parents. Hate your, hate your spouse, hate your children. It's, he didn't use soft words for things like that. He deliberately used very strong words because he wanted to see people saying, no, I'm not going to follow you anymore. Or people who wants to know him more intimately. And knowing that behind this kind of scary words, it's a lamb also who's going to bring us in a better place. What, when we put ourselves in a place with the 20, in, a, uh, in their place with the 21st century way of thinking, how will we react? What will, we, will we really follow him? If he says, I'm the one in this crowd, and Jesus is in front of me and saying this kind of huge, scary things. And this is the shocking reality, my friends. Reality is that in the 21st century, Jesus said the same things. The same things he said to them is the same things he says to us. Same things he says to us. To follow him means to give him our commitment in love. On that level, our relationship with the closest people seems to look like a hate when we compare it to how much we love Christ. That kind of relations, that kind of intimacy, that kind of love He wants to have with us. That we love Him so much that everything else in our life it looks like a hate comparing how much we love Him. That He says today, sells everything and follow me. We living on a, on, a, on, a, on a foundations of the missionaries, okay, all our culture, Christian culture and everything where we are, is lying down on the foundation of the ministry, on, a, on a missionaries who burn their bridges and says, I'm never coming back. We need that attitude again. We need this again because he demands that to us. If you want to really see some country changed in our generation and a future generation, it will only be with the people who are fully committed. No a gap year. <laughs> Praise God for a gap year. No our short impact teams. Praise God for them also. But I will be done with the people who sells everything and they don't care. They don't they burn them bridges. They go fully. They took that cross because they felt something in their hearts which says, I love this Christ more than anything. And I know if I go in this direction, I'm gonna discover more and more and more of him, and I love him. We don't think in that way. We read those verses in the Bible and we say, what Jesus really means he is, here is, and we give some explanation. We start to redefine what Christianity is according to our preference and according to what suits us today. 
because we are in a culture that wants to make us so comfortable. We take Jesus from Bible and shape him into Jesus with whom we feel a little more relaxed and comfortable. But he wasn't relaxed and comfortable in this chapter. He was scary. <laughs> he looked him in the face and says, Are you guys want to leave me also? And if they said yes, he will be fine with that. Nice, polite, never to extreme, middle class, emancipated, politically correct, Western Uncle Jesus. He's not in Bible. Looks how we look, thinks how we think, speaks how we speak, has the view as we have. He doesn't call us in the radical extremes. He's not calling us in love that hurts or service that is very sacrificing. He's Jesus who doesn't want his children to injure, suffer, dirt, or any trouble, and so on, and so on. No. <laughs> He's the Lamb. And we are under a umbrella of great grace and great love and great acceptance. And He just is open heaven. You can reach that all the time, all the time, all the time. But under that, He is a roaring lion, Alpha and Omega, who says, I'm so committed. I'm so giving up to see to." To see my glory in all its fullness. To see the essence of my glory happening all the time. I'll jump over this. <laughs> this kind of guy, Alpha and Omega, Lion and Lamb, full with joy and compassion for you, but in the same time he's going to turn to you and bluntly call, put the test your intimate knowledge of him, saying, is this your last station? Is this your stop button? He wants to see how much intimacy you know. He wants to check this love, which he says this love needs to be greater than any other love you have in this world. Do you really know me? Do you, can you really trust me in a confusing situation? Can you really trust me when I take you in unknown areas? Can you really trust me when I do something which is totally against loyal logic? You want to take me aside? You want to give me lessons how to do goes against everything you believed in that moment. Are you gonna take are you are you gonna allow me to take you there? Or will I, or you're gonna leave this bus? You're gonna be in that kind of place. And I'm not saying just about those three great enemies, gold girls and glory. It's always there. It's always gonna tempt us in one way or another. But we leaders, we are tempted in a different ways also. It's a lowing down the standards. Loving down our expectations, loving down our, our faith, allowing to settle down and not go in the new areas he wants to take us. Going for a comfortable, a buffer zone. Going to settle down and not take risks anymore. Going in making churches in a popular way. Okay, because for far too long we were building hard way and now we see this is, this is painful. We're just going to go for a faith. We're just going to go for our numbers. We're just going to go for a, for whatever fills the buildings with the people. And then we're going to feel this is the right thing. Without rich and right essence in those people's life. What the real Christianity is. Building churches that attract and entertain believers. You don't have that in the Bible. You have a churches fully committed to reached people who never heard the gospel before and sometimes i do feel in england 
I always ask everybody, you maybe know, I ask you probably, you know, is your growth coming from the new Christian family joining, coming in your neighborhood? Or your growth in the church is happening because you're reaching people who never heard the gospel before? You need to answer that question for yourself. Because we are not here to entertain believers and provide a comfortable culture for them. We are here to reach people who never heard the gospel before. Evangelize England again and again and again. And it's so easy to get to that comfortable culture of, well, we have some growth. Church is functioning well, you know. The, 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 the bank account is full. We can do all this stuff and everything. And you get comfortable. And Jesus says, that is not where I want to take you. I want to take you in a radically reaching non-Christians. Forgetting your first call and prophetic words. Enthusiasm that was boiling room once when you come. With your enthusiasm in the past, you will enter any room. It will become a boiling room. And today, you know somewhere in the past, you have just pressed a stop button. And you're cold boiled egg now. Nothing else. <laughs> Nothing else. There's no fire in you anymore. And you know down the road, you can, while I'm preaching, you can remember that moment in your past when you press the stop button. You remember that you had a, a great prophetic words in your life, spoken once and you believed in them. But down the road, they become too much of the burden. And you kill them in your conscience and you stop, press the stop button and stop going in that direction. Stop believing them, stop praying for them. Now it's just everything calculated. Too many meetings. Too many voting. Faith in what God has said is not involved anymore. It's what bank account can say. What people in church says. What can fit in a busy schedule. It's a stop button for any kind of eldership tip. and a stop button for any kind of elder. Now it's just, I'm just too old. I'm just too old. I haven't heard gong yet. I still have a gloves on my hands, but they're down. They're not in the guard anymore. I don't send any punches anymore. I'm just waiting for my time to come and go. Well, if you're alive, okay, God haven't finished with you yet. <laughs> and, and, and there is no stop button in your sight yet, okay? And you're going to sleep with the camping boots on, with army boots on, because any moment God can say, is, go and take the promised land. I, I was in, in a war in a Kosovo, and when war started, three weeks I was sleeping with my boots on. Okay, because any moment could be a moment, some action or mission will happen. We got lazy after, after three weeks. <laughs> but it's just that attitude of sleeping in the army boots, being ready today, maybe today is the day when God says, go and take that promised land. Don't give up on that. Don't press the button. You know, on the surface can be so many different things. So many different things. The reason to press the button. But inside, the reason is just one. Okay? And it's hidden in the words of Peter. There's a serious pause before Jesus looked at them and asked, Are you going to go? And in this dramatic moment, Peter, who usually says something stupid... This time he was smart. I can imagine him standing up slowly. I can almost imagine all his life going in that film, in that moment. He's just standing up slowly and says, 
Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words in eternal life. You are the one who has the words in eternal life. You have the words of the eternal life. This recognition, recognizing who is the one in front of us, not ever forgetting him, not allowed his beauty to fade away in your eyes, being crazy in love with him and his personality, knowing his power, knowing his agenda, knowing his purpose, knowing what he did and what he will finish is crucial to stand the course and not giving up. That is the only thing you're going to have in the defense when that time comes and you want to give it up. You need to ask yourself, this guy came in my life once and he had awards in eternal life. And he presented himself as the best thing ever in the world. <coughs> and I need to ask myself, who is the one who has the words in eternal life? Who is the one? The great danger for every kind of mission Mission, uh, every kind of ministry is losing who is the one in front of us. When I forget who am I, when I become something else, when I stop thinking of myself as a child of God in a daily need of grace, in the middle of my sanctification, still in battle with sin, still in need of the body of Christ, called to pastoral ministry, when I forget all that and I think about myself just like a pastor, that things start to define me. And that's the moment when Jesus is not anymore in front of me. He's somewhere else. And that happens with one reason in the life of the ministry. It's over-familiarity. I've done this so long. And I lost passion for God. And it becomes just another sermon. Another meeting. I become a professionalist. Nothing else. This familiarity with the things of God will cause you to lose your awe, to lose your hunger for Him, to lose that you want more of God. This over-familiarity will make glory to not look glorious anymore. This over-familiarity with the God and with the work of God, because you've been in the ministry so long and you've felt the pressure of building church and leading people and all that for us so long, it just drain all love. And no knowledge of who is the one in front of me. Do you understand what I mean? It's, it's a dangerous place when we just become a ministers of religion. It's a dangerous place when we just become a, a Christians. When we forget that we are childs of God. And He is our Father. And He is a wonderfully beautiful. When His glory is just the words in a song. When day of small beginnings... You know, days of small beginnings are such a wonderful thing. Extremely hard. Okay. But man, you will never be close to God than in the days of small beginnings. You will so depend on Him. And when you feel the days of small beginnings are just numb me. And don't bring me to Him anymore. And I start pressing stop. But you know you're in danger. I love days of small beginnings. I love finding God in the small things. I love rejoicing when God touched somebody. That somebody who's always making the wrong decision for the first time did the right decision. I love it. I love seeing somebody from nothing becoming somebody in the church. I just love this small beginning. It's just so great place when God's glory and grace is so present. 
Don't lose. Bring yourself always in the days of small beginnings. Plant churches. Start new ministries. Get away from comfortable place of the huge churches. God bless huge churches and all that. But in the huge churches, find a way to fill the burden of small beginnings. It will bring glory of God back to you. When God becomes a divine being to study and to logically understand, but not Lord of glory and heavenly Father, it's a dangerous. When you read another theological book, and okay, this is a good teaching material, but doesn't serve your heart with His glory and His love for you, you're in danger. When you spend too much time studying a tournament, and then you can stand in the foot of the cross with a little weeping and not any joy. You're in a dangerous place. Recognize those things. You're becoming over-familiar with Lord. Over-familiar with the work of God. And you will sooner or later, missing that, that the one who stands in front of you is the one who has the words in eternal life. True leadership wisdom becomes with being able to recognize Jesus in the midst of any turbulence, to see his true character even behind confusing words. When in the midst of the confusing words you see him and his glory is the right thing. Because you need that. You need to be amazed with his awe. You need to be amazed with his glory. You, you, we need that as a human beings. We are created for a beauty. Beauty brings the best from us. You drink good wine, everything changes in you. You see a good picture, it brings the best out from you. The best values change you as a person. Beauty makes you to wake up in the morning. Seriously. When you lose all for a beauty, you, you, you lose reason to live. My heart is made for the beauty of my God and my Savior. You and I are made to be enchanted, in love, obsessed with God. To be constantly surprised, amazed, lavishly astonished with Him, by Him. To be puzzled by His wisdom, absorbed by His goodness. To be staggered and stunned by His love. To be charmed and delighted. To be obsessed, passionate, emotionally overwhelmed, electrified, masterminded. Fascinated, monopolized, taken, be drunk by joy of the Lord and smashed by His glory. We are created for that. And only that can bring us full joy in life. And make us to be fully able when confusing words of the Lord comes and the pruning comes and not understanding where He's taking us. And that there looks so scary. That will help me to say, but Lord, you. <laughs> Nobody else. Who else? Who else are going to turn? Yeah, I just love Peter. He just looks around and says, I don't like this very much, but hey, who else? I know if I don't, if I don't turn to you, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to turn and follow something else. We are created for that beauty. Beauty of your saviors. Tenderness as the rulers and gentleness as almighty. Compassion for fallen people and faithfulness to the ones he loves. His grace for sinners and joys when He sees me. Joy when He sees me. I love that so much. Ah, oh, man. I, I know in my past and sometimes today, I wake up in the morning, look myself in the mirror and say, oh, it's you again. <laughs> <coughs> and I just, 
But now, in the past, I will be just connected with such a bad feeling about myself. But now, oh, it's you again. Just, it's a trigger to release God's glory in me. Says, yeah, but God wants to spend eternity with you. God wants to spend eternity with you. Come on, what is one day with you? <laughs> you can handle one more day. <laughs> it's just brilliant. I just love it. So, Simon says, and answer him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? It's you. It's you. It's your beauty. It's who you are. And not just that. You had some words, and I heard them in my life. And these words are words of eternal life. You have those words of eternal life. And I was thinking about those words of eternal life. I don't, I don't think he meant, you know, all the theologically right stuff and everything else. I think he meant to that moment. He met him on the shore fishing and doing that great miracle of catching many fishes. When Peter heard words of eternal life that changed his life forever, the words that make him to follow. You have the words of eternal life. Nobody else can offer me that. I remember I was fishing with my father and friends, and you came along and invited me something much bigger than our lives. For me, that was the words of eternal life. When I met Christ and he called me, I was always rebel, okay? I was always anarchist in some way, you know? I always want... I love Che Guevara. I love revolution. I live in a time of Milosevic. I dreamt about me and my friends tore him down and all that, bring revolution and all. I, I love punk music and all that kind of stuff. I really rage against machine and all that. I loved it. But then I made Christ and he called me. And I, made, made, I, I, I met such a revolutionary guy who overturned everything with love, who turns another chick. And I just knew it's not difficult to smack another chick. But turn another chick for a kiss, it's just, that is the radical. That was for me the words of an eternal life. He came and he gave me such a great purpose in life. And he won me forever. Then suddenly, our lives had more purpose and meaning than ever before. Then suddenly, I wasn't just fisherman. I wasn't just Peter the fisherman. But I felt I was inviting the story of God in history. Where to go after this kind of call? To go back to fishing? To return back home? Dad, I come back in the family business? I know how that look going to look like. Do you know how that? If you say no to the Christ and say no to this great story and this great adventure, which in reality all life looks like this, planting more churches, reaching nations, bringing restoration of Christianity and being a part of the wonderful relational mission and all that, if you say no to that, what, what else you have? To, for what you're going to sell all this? You're going to go back home and do some fishing. Get a few more kids if you live long enough, some, some grandparents, and then die. <laughs> die. And Peter says, Lord, I'd rather leave and do some great stuff for you and follow you around and die for you than just die. I'd rather do something. I'm going to die one way or another. If I'm going to die, I want to die and will live well. I want to leave something behind. You, Christ, gave me the opportunity to live for something. I'd rather die for something than live for nothing. I prefer to follow you and die than rather just die. You call me to something so much bigger. 
than anything I've been part before. I didn't exactly work as I thought it's going to work, but that's fine. That's fine. We all have our ideas how God is going to do things. And this is those moments that they collapse, that stop moments where actually he's going to do differently, not how I thought. That's fine because I know you. I know you intimately. I know how wonderful you are. And I trust you. I don't need answers on the questions. What else? Who else can do it? You see, money is never going to be enough fuel to keep us going successfully through life. Money can buy many things. But there is the things that money in this world can never give you. you can, it, it cannot buy you satisfaction of heart and soul. It cannot give you that great feeling that when you lower your head in the night and when you say, you can say to yourself, I fought some fights today for something much bigger than my life. I was in a contact with the heaven. I walked in the spirit. I, lo- I, I walk all day today in a contact with God, working for His glory. Yes, I lost some battles today. Some people said, you're an idiot. Enemy and devil coming all the time saying, what are you doing in this? It's rubbish. How do you mean you're going to change the world to 30 people in some kind of building? How do you mean you're going to do that? Yes, I suffer all these attacks and pains and everything else. But you know what? When I lie down in the evening... Nothing matters anymore because I walked in the spirit. I walked in obedience. I did some great work for a God and I can sleep with such a satisfaction. With such satisfaction. You can lie in night at bed and say you I'd rather live your lives in this way than follow the life of money and ease and comfort and comfortable Christianity. There's nothing worse than a comfortable Christianity. I'll tell you what. Honestly, I believe that. It's Christianity which has the nuclear power in their hands to change the world and doing nothing about that. We are... There's a little a character in a, in a Philemon. How do you say in English? Onesimus. Onesimus? Yes. <laughs> Peter says, I appeal to my son Onesimus. Paul says, who... Become my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you. And now he's useful for both of us. That is our story. We are all wearing the name of this guy. You know, formerly we were useless. <laughs> and that God, we were just breathing and taking space in this world. Nothing else. And then, then Christ come in our life and made us useful. We are useful for God. We are useful people. We are worth something in this world. We have a proper ministry. Any other ministry in this world, any other job in this world, it's, it's a job. But we have the ministry reconciliation between men and men and man and God. And nothing else is more important than this in this world. Are you going to trade that for anything? Are you going to drop that down and go for some? What else? The eyes of that guy, the figure of that girl. <laughs> For that exotic, romantic adventure you're going to have and trade God for that. Any exotic, romantic adventure you're going to have, one day finish with honey, can you put rubbish out? (laughs) And all romance will just disappear one day. 
Every beautiful figure today, one day is going to be pear-shaped, okay? <laughs> Any beautiful car, one day just going to be rust. There's nothing this world can offer you. Nothing this world can offer you. Amen. <laughs> so when the moment comes, and please, if, if you know in your hearts, I had that moment in my life, I know. I know. I had that moment in my life, and I know I'd made mistake then. And I pressed the stop button. Now is the time to repent. I says, Lord, get me back on bus. <laughs> Take me to that area. Maybe it's the huge things, you know. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's not that you turn away from God in some huge way, but you know there is areas God wants to take you, and you're refusing to go there. You're refusing to go there because you're scared. It doesn't go with your logic or something. Go there. But the only way you can do that is to fall in love with God again, to, do, to have that you in your life. It's you. Who else? fell in love with him you're created for that beauty and the first original beauty you're created for it's god and when you have that first created beauty for in your life that you're created for on your on on the right place in your heart everything else will pop in the right place fell in love with him fell in love with him i'm gonna finish soon but i just wanna is this okay just a few practical stuff okay i'm i like practical i'm very much I'm a mechanical engineer by profession, and I love practical stuff, you know. And I know that unless I function that well for the, for the time of war, I need to get myself ready in the time of peace, okay? So I will, I will write down things, the truth, I will going to stand on them. So when the, the scary moments of, of pressing the stop button comes, I will not allow the emotions to throw me left and right. I'm going to stand on those things and believe them, Okay. So, first things, remain open. Remain open. The first things that will happen when you feel pressure, and you want to press you're going to feel guilty, you're going to feel bad, you're gonna, your pride is going to pop in on the surface, and everything in you will say, just close yourself in. Don't get open. Get open. Get open. Communicate your pain. Communicate your confusion to somebody. Talk about those things. Let people know. For what kind of difficult stage you're going. So remain open. Don't build high barriers to other people. Remember. Remember. You've been at that place before. You just forgot. You've been. And every crisis you ever had in your life. It was the hugest crisis ever. Okay? So if you are standing here and says, Well, you don't know where I'm going from. I've never been this. Yes, you've been there before. Because in a, 10 years ago when you had that Christ, that moment it looks like a hugest Christ in your life. You've been there before and God took you out. He always takes us out. I'm going to give you two priceless advices. Write them down. Cost 1,000 pounds each. Okay. <laughs> the first I got from Mike many years ago. He probably even doesn't remember. First time when I met Mike and uh, I went to visit him in the lost of and we went out and we talked and all that. I asked him, Mike, what do you do when you feel bad? What do you do when you really feel bad in your heart? What do you do to take yourself out? And he gave me a, such great advice. He said nothing. <laughs> I do absolutely nothing. Yes, you said that. I remember. <laughs> I do nothing. And he says, you know, the, the bad, that feelings, they just come and go. You know, God takes you from everything. Just wait long enough and 
You know, God takes you out. Just do what you're doing. Don't give up. And God will take you out. And it's true. It serves me so well. It's just what Mike said, you know, don't be full of your opinions and hot air. Don't just think too much. Just do what you do and trust God and God will take you out. And honestly, every single time, God took me out. Big situation, small situation, confusing situation, scary situation. They're finished. They're somewhere in the past. I forgot about them. I just knew they exist. They don't have any identity uh, bruises or scars or anything. I just know something's happened, but doesn't have emotional power anymore in any way. God is faithful. Always take us out. The other advice I got from Morris. It's how he, um, how do you say, um, advice in REF, how he got promotions in REF. So I don't know if that's Morris' story or it's generally for all REF. But Morris said, if you hang around long enough in REF, you get promoted. <laughs> so... You don't need to be brave or anything. Just hang around long enough and sooner or later somebody will notice you and promote you. And that is so much true when you transfer that from the REF to the Christian language. It's that perseverance. You know, just don't give up. Don't press the button. Everything's going to change one day. Just push in the right direction with the right stuff all the time. Push, 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 push. Don't go for a fade of the Christian world that says this is a new technique, things are going to be excellent, great. No, no, no. You know in your heart what is the essence, what is the quality, how it needs to be done, what God's going to do. Just push, 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 push. Sooner or later, God's moment will come and things are going to be totally different. Does that make sense? Remember, you've been there before. Don't be a short memory. Remember that God was so faithful to you always in life. He always takes you out. Fix your eyes on God. Fix your eyes on God. Because what you want to do in this situation, you want to run away from God. And He's the only one who can help you. So, I know what's happened in this situation. You go from the very bed and, and you soon you, you get rid of from reading Bible or prayer or the quiet time or anything like that. You just cut off that everything. No, no, no. Keep it. Keep it. It's not going to be quiet time anymore. It's going to be time of the shouting on God. That's fine. Shout. <laughs> Uh, uh, argue with him and everything. Just keep that time with him because it's an open space for him. Once when you lower your voice and you are tired of shouting on him, the quiet voice will come and he's going to start ministering to you. Fix your eyes on God. Don't, don't, so the things you have in your diary of your time with God, don't keep it there. If it can be painful as hell, stay there. Don't move. Because it's a space for God to come in one day when you had your go and all that and start ministering to you and do some great stuff. Take your time to moan. Okay, all this is a painful. Understand your emotions. Understand that you need time to cry if you need. Do you need to treasure emotions? It's beautiful. Don't be harsh to your emotions. Allow yourself to be sad. Allow yourself to go away. Allow yourself glasses of wine. Allow yourself respect your emotions. Don't make to yourself to be a super Christian or something. Allow yourself. Find friend to cry with him for goodness sake. Do you have a friend that you can cry with? If you don't have it, make them. Okay? Nobody cries for a air, you know. We don't think about air now. We think about air when we don't have air. It will, time will come when you're going to need some friends and you're, not, and you're going to say, where's my friends? And they're not there because you didn't invest in making friends in a time of peace. 
make some friends, you can cry with them and drink wine one day. <laughs> Surround yourself with mature Christians, okay? So you feel you want to open your heart maybe to the people. And sometimes we do that in the wrong way. We talk about all the deep stuff in our hearts to the wrong people, to mature Christians or people that understand, and that just makes damage because they understand you. So the feeling back you get from those people, that's, it's true. Nobody understands me. And nobody cares. No, no, no. You just talk to the wrong people. Find mature Christians. You can share your emotions. Find mature people that can pour out your heart. You're going to get some treasure back. Protect your children. Guys, from the personal experience, from the people I see in Serbia who've been in, in, in a ministry, somehow they made mistake. They got the children involved in all this. In a way, manipulating their children uh, emotionally. So asking compassion and understanding from the children. You know, just going with the flow of emotions in front of children. Let your children see you. Uh, they, they see you, how you feel and everything else. And you have a compassion from the children. It's wrong. They should be protected. They should be protected. Don't do that. If you are wise and strong enough to use this as a building moment so you can teach them something about the ministry and, and Christian life in a positive way, great. But if you can't, just let, never see you in how bad stage you are. I'm serious. They will not understand. It will damage them. It will be connected to the church and God who is hurting my dad who I love very much. Run away from that. Learn what you can learn and move on. <laughs> and that's it. Buried after that. Learn what can you learn from that. Write it down or what and move on. You don't need emotional attachment to the past. You don't need anything of that. Let's be a valuable lesson which you, you don't know where and how you learn that. That's fine. But lessons should stay. Emotional baggage and damage should go. Leave it behind. Amen. I'm going to stop here.